morning, church family. My name is Jackson Short. I'm a seminary student at Lipscomb University working on my Master's of Divinity, so I can preach full-time on that. Um, my great-grandparents were Leslie and Llewellyn Newman, who were, as Doug said, charter members of Woodbine back 85 years ago. That would also make me the great-nephew of Billy and Barbara Chapman, and the great-great-great-nephew of Miriam and the late Ian Stovall. There's three generations of Inman's represented in this building today. It's great to know that the, um, the harvest has yielded, has yielded good fruit, and that uh, I can't think of a better place be preaching my first sermon in Woodbine, where it all started. Yeah. I'm a child of the 1990s, so I played a lot of video games growing up. I had a lot of the cool console computer games. Probably played them a little more than I should have. But uh, most sacrifices the most satisfying feeling came when I actually won the game. But a lot of times I lost. And in great big letters, oftentimes read, the word game over would flash on the screen. That's one of the worst feelings in the world. When you've lost the game, brothers and sisters. So, in so in the Christian life, there's one difference between playing a game and reality. You only get one life. But there is no reincarnation, no physical rebirth. Once we die, we cannot start again. We are either going to heaven or we're going to hell to be tortured for eternity in the place of national teeth. Well, in the Gospel of Mark, there are several examples of people playing games with their faith. Stand with me as we read the word of the Lord this morning. One of the scribes approached. When he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he said to them, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, but there is no one else except him. And to love your neighbor with all, to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, 
You are not far from the kingdom of God, and no one dared question him further. While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he asked, How can the scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself says by the Holy Spirit, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put an enemy at your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? And the large crowd was laughing to him with the love. He also said in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who want to go around and demand in long robes and demand greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogue, and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for a show. These will receive harsher judgment. Sitting across from the temple treasury, Jesus watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Then the poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. For they all gave out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Join me in prayer. Father God, Teach us to love our neighbor as ourselves. To love you with all our hearts, souls, minds, bodies, and spirits. Teach us to give out of the depths of our heart. Teach us to make our way pure in our giving. Father God, I pray that you would touch the lives and hearts and ears of the people receiving your words this morning. And that you would speak through me as I prepare to give to you, to tend to our people, this word. In Christ's name, amen. One of the scribes approached. When he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he said to them, Which command is most important of all? Now, in all likelihood, the scribes were debating Jesus and arguing rather than just having a simple discussion. Because we know that the scribes and Pharisees had a very contentious relationship with Jesus. They often tried to play games with Jesus and try to back him into a corner. Trying to back him into the wrong end of God's question trying to find grounds to have them arrested and later put to death. But Jesus, being all-knowing and all-understanding, had the perfect answer to their questions. Jesus says, The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. Doesn't that sound like the first two commandments 
that are given to us in Exodus. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. This isn't just an off-cut response by Jesus. There's this thing that the traditional straight Jews pray between two and four times a day called the Shema. Jesus himself was Jewish, so he probably would have repeated this daily. And so this is basically the modern, the ancient day version of Let It Go for Baby Shark. For those who have seen Frozen or have grandchildren. It was ingrained in their minds forever, and any good Jewish person rabbi or teacher would have identified the Shema from a mile away. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. You know, in any group, brothers and sisters, there are going to be extremists. People who stand out on sidewalks speaking words of hate who picket funerals of homosexuals. But I tell you, brothers, this is not the true Christian way. Jesus tells us to speak the truth in love, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Love our neighbor regardless of race, religion, sexual orientation, political affiliation. But friends, love your homosexual neighbor, love your Islamic neighbor, love your Buddhist neighbor, love your Taoist neighbor, love your neighbor, period, because we were first loved. And although several of us are misguided and we have strayed from the path a couple times, we are all made in the image of God. We are all God's creation, regardless of creed, nationality, religion, what have you. We are all made in the image of God, and we are all God's children. Consider this. Jesus didn't have to come down to earth. He could have stayed up there in the lap of luxury, eating grapes off vine by the angels. He didn't have to love us, but he did. And he died for us out of love. And in return, we are to love our neighbors with all our hearts, soul, minds, body, and spirit. When we love our neighbor, we are loving the Lord with all our hearts. Now in the Greek, there are four different types of love in the Bible. There is Eros love. That is the that is the erotic love or sexual love that a spouse has for each other. That is the love that a husband has for his wife. There is storge love. That is the love that a parent has for their child and children for their brothers and sisters. That is brotherly love. There is filial love. 
that is the love each of us has for each other in this room. We're supposed to have it. And love gets thrown around very loosely nowadays. It does not mean you have to hang out together on the weekends. It means to at very least have a common respect and civility for one another as human beings, as brothers and sisters. That's where we get the word Philadelphia. It comes from the Greek root philia. And then, finally, there is agape love. That is the divine, special, unconditional love that God has for us. That is the, that is the love that we will receive one day when we pass on to the other side. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have correctly identified that he is one, and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength. To love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than the burnt offering and sacrifice. You know, being a child of the 90s, one of the greatest slang terms I've heard growing up is duh. One of the greatest terms millennials used to use to talk back to their parents. And I would imagine had anyone but Jesus would have let out a big old duh, these scribes and Pharisees had it been used back then. Then Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him further. When we see, then we see Jesus in the temple. We see him saying, How can the scribe say to the Messiah as the son of David? David himself says by the Holy Spirit, the Lord declares my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put an enemy under your feet. David himself called him Lord. How then can he be his son? And the large crowd was listening to him with delight. What's interesting about this response, this isn't just another off-the-cuff response. This is the first verse of Psalm 110. You see, Jesus often recited scripture as his answers, as we see from the Shema and Deuteronomy. We see it again when Jesus says from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is not a cry that Jesus, out of his heart, asked of the Father. He is reciting a psalm here. Jesus knew the scripture because he is the word. Jesus often spoke in parables and riddles, things that took critical thinking to understand. Here's another example of the Pharisees going to the temple to play games with Jesus. But this time Jesus flips the script. By asking this riddle of the Pharisees and scribes and people in the 
temple. Jesus has flipped the script on us. We are like the Pharisees, brothers and sisters, just wanting to play games with our faith, sitting here with our glasses of cynicism on, waiting for someone to trip us up into a gotcha question. Jesus flipped the script on the Pharisees, and now he has flipped the script on us. It's time to stop playing games with our faith. Beware of the scribes who want to go around in long robes, who want greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and say prayers just for show. These will receive harsher judgment. Gosh, aren't we like the Pharisees sometimes, just wanting to do things for show? We all want to be recognized by society. We all want our name on a building in order for the public to remember us when we are long departed. Now, I tell you, any action or behavior that aims to draw attention to ourselves is a form of pride. To receive self-gratification from others is a form of pride. There's a reason pride is a seven deadly sin because it taints the mind. When the mind is tainted, we are no longer able to love the Lord our God with all our mind. We are not to make a name for ourselves out of gratification because we are all made in the image of God. And when we are instead prideful, we are saying to God that we refuse to be made in His image and want to be made in our own. We are all made, we are called to be image bearers of Christ and to be made in His own image. In the New Testament era, widows were reported, widows were treated very poorly, mainly by the scribes and Pharisees especially if they had no one to look after them when they were gone, when their husbands were gone. They were property. They were meant to produce heirs for their husbands. While there were some provisions for widows in Hebrew law, those were not always enforced by the Pharisees. So they were treated very poorly and often had very little. We see Jesus noting the selfless act of the widow here. Sitting across from the temple treasury, he, walked, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Then the poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than the others, for they all gave out of their surplus. But she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now the value of the coins this woman put into the treasury was just equal to a few cents. She had next to nothing, partly due to the treatment of the scribes and Pharisees. 
Now, what does that say to her about her commitment to God's kingdom and about her trust in God? Now, please do not hear me say that giving out of surplus or wealth is a bad thing. That's not what the text is saying. Any gift to the church, any gift at all, should be given out of the depths of our heart, not out of pride, not out of social standing. The Pharisees used to give out of their surplus for show, to show that they were a good Jew, to maintain their social status in temples, in the marketplaces, where they demanded greetings and said long prayers. Do not do anything out of pride, brothers and sisters. Any gift must be given out of the depths of the heart. And that is what the woman, the widow, gave out of the depths of her heart. When we give out of the depths of our heart, we are loving our God and church genuinely, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, not out of our need to be gratified by others. Let me ask you this. If I were to take out my wallet, if, if we were down, brothers and sisters, to our last dollar, how many of us would have put that last dollar in the plate as it passed us by? Probably none of us. I'm just being honest here. Now, what if that dollar wasn't a dollar at all? What if that dollar, my friends, were your car, your new iPhone, your PlayStation 4, anything that is holding us back from pursuing a relationship with Jesus? What is your last dollar, my brothers and sisters? What is holding you back? What is keeping you to playing these games with your faith? What is keeping us back from our faith? In closing, I want to leave you with an excerpt from a favorite poem of mine. It's from The Awful Road Towards God by Ann Sexton. I empty myself from the wooden rowboat onto the flesh of the island. On with it, he says, and thus we squat on the rocks and play, can it be true, a game of poker. He calls me. I win because I have a royal straight flush. He wins because he has five aces. A wild card has been announced and I have not heard it. Being in such a state of awe, when he took out the cards and dealt, he plucked down his five aces. And I'm still grinning at my royal flush. He starts to laugh, the laughter rolling like a hoop out of his mouth and into mine. And such laughter that he doubles over right over me, rejoicing and laughing in a rejoiceful chorus at our two triumphs. Then I laugh, the fishy dogs laugh, the sea laughs, the island laughs, the absurd laughs. Dearest dealer, I with my royal straight flesh love you so for your wild heart. 
the unchangeable, eternal, veteran, haha, and lucky love. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. God, with his five aces, has already won the game. God loves us with his agape love, his divine, unconditional love. Let's pray Father God, teach us to give genuinely with all our hearts. Teach us, Father, to be less prideful as we all are from time to time. Teach us to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, souls, minds, and spirits. Brothers and sisters, if you are ready to stop playing games with your faith, if you are ready to play with God instead of against God and are ready to hold your cards, there will be people standing over at the next steps bulletin banner to answer your questions and guide you through the next steps to sacrificing your last dollar and following Christ. Don't let anything hold you back from pursuing a relationship with Christ. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.